Hey, welcome to the Crossing Church podcast. You're about to listen to a message from one of our recent meetings, which we trust will bless you. If you're wanting to know more about The Crossing, you can follow us on our social channels or visit thecrossing.org.za. Now lean in and be encouraged by Jesus as you hear his word for you today. You can also drop us a mail at forhim@thecrossing.org.za. The Crossing Church, Christ in us, Christ through us. Good morning, everybody that's tuned in to The Crossing Church on Facebook and YouTube, our online uh, uh, version of church uh, over these times. It is interesting times. It's cold times this winter. Pray that you are warm and that everything's going well. My name's Brad. I get to pastor this incredible church with a wonderful team, and uh, it's a delight to bring the Word of God today. So we're, we're in a series uh, going through the book of Acts. It's actually amazing. Uh, these chapters in the book of Acts are putting a lot of courage into us. When we see the courage of the early church, we're actually encouraged by the way they overcame so many difficulties. Uh, we don't have the same difficulties they had. Uh, some of their difficulties are worse than ours. Uh, some of the difficulties that we have are, are probably worse than theirs. But in, in many ways, the same God, the same uh, enemy, the same war, the same battle is before all of us. Through, uh, to Christians throughout all the ages, but we uh, have the wonderful truths and the wonderful power of God at our hand, and uh, God is doing amazing things in the earth, even in these difficult times. So I trust that you be encouraged. I trust that you'll see something uh, of the power and the glory of Jesus in this. Um, we're in Acts chapter 12. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're, uh, we're going to get straight into it. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray for your great uh, just courage to come to people, I thank you that you said in your word that if you are for us, who can be against us? And so we thank you for that. Your word says because of your love, we are more than conquerors. So I do thank you for that too. Your love is great. And that's what sets us up as victorious. And so I want to trust you, Lord God, for people to be encouraged by, by you, by your spirits, by the word of God, and uh, just, just by the things that are happening um, you know, under your care today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so uh, this courageous church, uh, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 12. And um, in this passage, we're going to come across uh, some things that are going to give us these convictions. And what I want to touch on today is the convictions of a courageous Christian, the, the convictions of a courageous church. And so on the one hand, <laughs> you have Peter being treated as a convict. Um, the, the people of, the, of that time, men of that time, are convinced that this is an enemy and they try and get him out. Uh, on the other hand, you've got this King Herod, the, the king of Israel at the time, and um, he's kind of, he's not really a Jew and he's always trying to please the Jews and everything that he does. He's also befriended some of the Roman emperors and, and uh, some of the Caesars of the time. And uh, so he's a bit of a people pleaser, but uh, this King Herod, in the end, he ends up being convicted by God. And I'll tell you what, who would you rather be convicted by? Would it be uh, by men uh, for a crime or would it be by men because you're a Christian? I've heard many people say, is there enough evidence to convict you of the crime if Christianity were a crime? Uh, is there enough proof that you are a Christian? Um, on the other hand, uh, what would you do when it comes to standing before God? Would you stand before God and be able to be, um, try and balance the scales and, and try and measure up to 
uh, the good things and the, and the Ten Commandments and all those kind of things. And maybe you'll say, I'm not a, I'm not a bad person. Uh, is that enough when it comes to a holy God? Because I tell you, uh, the only thing that will count before God is to give him absolute glory for everything. And so uh, I do trust that you would find these convincing convictions that would stir in your heart as we look at what happens to Peter and what happens to King Herod. And so let's get straight into the scriptures. Acts chapter 12 from verse 1 to 5. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. Then he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of the unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. I mean, this is Herod used to have fun, uh, just, you know, these kind of uh, arenas where they'd put the Christians out and, and have them eaten by lions and all these kind of things. So um, he thought, hey, he's, he's really got the, the top disciple here. Um, you know, Jesus isn't really on the scene, but it's all these people that are talking about Jesus. They're, he's trying to get rid of them, and he knows that it pleases the Jews. And so Peter was kept in prison. And so a difficult scenario. We've got this lockdown that is taking place. And Peter... Uh, is kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Uh, the first of seven convictions that I want to touch on uh, for us to be a courageous people is, this, uh, is that we need to understand we have an enemy who produces a lot of trouble in this world. And so right off the bat, again, we're seeing there's um, a lot of difficulty in this first portion of Scripture. You can see there's violence, there's attacks, there's... Um, uh, arrests and prison and uh, just all these um, swords and, and difficulty and, and unjust uh, justice system that is um, putting a man who's really a follower of Jesus, doing good things, healing people, raising the dead, um, gets chucked into prison. And so the totally unjust uh, kind of justice of man uh, with all these kind of difficulties that are happening. And the worst of all is that people are taking pleasure in it. And so there's like this these, all this, this violence and attacking and then people that are really enjoying it. And fuck, I tell you, in this world, we, we see that all the time. We find so many people that are, are um, attacking and are, are, are fighting and are dividing and find great pleasure in the demise of others, whether it's um, a race or a, a political party. And, um, you know, we live in a world where it seems like this, this just continues. All the time. If it's not what we've been experiencing in this, in this last week, it'll be other things. Uh, and it's like there's nothing new under the sun. The reality is sin is the main issue. And, and sin has been around since the Garden of Eden when Satan came in and tempted Adam to reject God and to reject the righteousness of God and to, to reject the wisdom and the call that God made. And so every single time you find man stepping away from faith and obedience to a holy God, you're going to find them putting their trust in and following the commands of something completely unholy, and uh, the devil has had an upper hand for a long time. We see the works of the devil, and I, I want to tell you, I mean, even when you look at this King Herod, I mean, King Herod's grandfather was the one who killed all the babies when Jesus was born because he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Uh, he was scared of this King Jesus that was coming, so he did whatever he could to slay all the babies to try and take Jesus out. That's Herod's grandfather. Grand, uh, Herod's uh, father is one who uh, tries to beheads John the Baptist. John the Baptist is presenting um, and, and pointing out Jesus. 
But this Herod, uh, this, he listens to his, uh, his brother's wife who he likes. And um, his brother's wife has this daughter who dances for him at a party. And he says, I'll do whatever you want. I mean, who knows what kind of nonsense she was getting up to. And he's like, I love this. This is great. I'll do whatever you want. And, and uh, she asks her mother, what would you like, mom? What should I ask him? And, and she says, John the Baptist's head on a platter. Uh, so you've got this, this baby-killing grandfather, this uh, prophet-beheading father. And you've got this Herod who's um, uh, killed uh, uh, James and he's put Peter into prison. Even this Herod's son later on becomes the one that pleases the Jews again. I guess we learned that from his, his grandfather and his father by holding Paul in prison for a, an undue amount of time. And uh, I tell you what, all of these things just revealing something that this Herod and his family are really sons of the devil in every way. Uh, when we, we talk about the devil, we talk about Satan, we talk about Lucifer, we talk about the fallen angel, an archangel that was in the place of worship. Uh, one of, a, a mighty and glorious angel of light that would worship before God. And he found in his heart, and the scriptures talk, talk to us about this, this place in his heart where he felt like he wanted to take the throne and he just wanted to be in charge. And this pride is really the, and, and selfishness is really the core to the sin that God, Satan, struck out of heaven like a lightning bolt into the earth. And so already when Adam and Eve are made, the devil's already in the earth. And it's interesting. Because it just means that God, by creating man in his image, had an intention all along to use man to destroy the works of the devil. And in fact, to use man to crush Satan's head. But because man had given into Satan, it was almost as if the seed of the sin had been put into, Satan, uh, into man and has just been among men for so long. Except when it comes to Jesus. When Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus gets tempted by Satan, but doesn't sin. And so he shows his superior power. And so Jesus, perfect in every way, lays down his life to die for sinners. And so that's why, what he's done. He's died for the whole world, a world of sinners, so that everyone who believes in him can be set free. Everyone who believes in him can be washed of that sin, can be no longer under the, the kind of fatherhood of Satan and placed under the fatherhood of the king, of the father, of Jesus' dad. And uh, I tell you, we need to understand something, folk. The Bible says this about the devil. He darkens the minds of unbelievers. That's 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. He deceives the world. Revelation 12, 9. Darkens, deceives. He plants weeds. Uh, those who don't believe, he plants them throughout the world. So, I mean, he's got such control of people that those who don't believe in, in God, he's actually able to use them and put them in places wherever he chooses. Uh, he takes people captive to do his will. Uh, sorry, the planting them like weeds is Matthew 13, 39. He takes people captive to do his will. That's 2 Timothy 2 verse 25. And we see so many people are captive under the power of Satan doing the will of Satan. Um, we, it says that he, he plucks up the seed of the word. So even as the word is preached, one of the, 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 the things that the enemy wants to do most of all is to stop the word of God being preached. He'll do whatever he can to make sure that this word doesn't go out because it's, it, it exposes him and it obviously reveals the gospel of the salvation that's in Jesus. If Satan can do anything to distract you, turn you, twist, to do whatever he can, make you look at Christians, make you look at oh, that pastor that fell, or all these kind of things, do whatever he can to, to mess it up so that you can't follow Jesus, then he's got you. In fact, he, he's just keeping you. That's all it is. And so um, he plucks up the seed of the word as it's preached. 
He tries to get in there to take it away. And that's Matthew 13, verse 4. He thwarts the missionaries, the, the apostolic work, the sending work, the, the translocal ministry. It's one of the ministries of ministering out of a local church to go and plant new churches, to go and see new work happen in new nations, to make disciples of all nations. It's one of the things that if the, when the church gets right, it's going to fulfill the Great Commission. It even says this, Jesus will not come until this gospel is preached to the ends of the earth. So Satan's going to have the, his number one target is to stop the church from going out beyond. Stop the church from raising up leaders, from raising up new pastors and putting them out into the place where there are sheep without shepherds. And so it's an incredible thing how much resistance you'd find when it comes to, oh, they're going to the nations again. Oh, are we doing this? Be careful that you're not becoming a voice uh, to slow down the work of God who wants to take this out into the world. And, and through the years, we've seen numerous uh, resistance um, in, in any kind of way to see this gospel go forward. And it, that is the devil. He throws ministers into prison. <laughs> we've just seen that there with Peter. And that's in Revelation 2 verse 10. He's the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 verse 4 says. And that's uh, small g. And then it says he gives power to those who worship him. Revelations 13 2. He gives power. To those who worship him, those who want to worship Satan, they can find themselves having a lot of power, but they're going to have a lot of, a lot of trouble with that power. This is what Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, verse um, 1 to 3. If you just consider what it, was, what it meant uh, to not believe in Jesus. You see, it's not that, um, well, we don't want the devil and, and, and we'll decide about Jesus. The reality is this, you're either with Jesus or you're not. And if you're not with Jesus, you're with Satan. And so if you're with Satan, and that's where people are at, they're either with Satan, and it's a dire place to be. And so those who are with Jesus need to look to those who are under the power of Satan to rescue them and to set them free, not to judge them and to look forward to them going to a place of hell. No, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't look forward to all of us dying. He came down to us to save us. And so when we are with Jesus, we have this desire to save those that are still under the power of Satan. We were under the power of Satan. Thank God he delivered us. Thank God that Jesus came and plucked us out from darkness and from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. And it's got to be the thing that pumps inside courageous Christians that they don't go fight those who are under the power of Satan, but save those that are under the power of Satan. It's got to be what we do. Because this is what we were. Ephesians chapter 2, it says this from verse 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I mean, try to tell someone that they, they need to obey God. But they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're not even alive to the things of God. How can you tell them to be alive to the things of God when they're dead in the things of sin? And so the only way that they can be awakened to that thing is to put their faith in Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to see Jesus in our lives, in the lives of what we preach and live. And I tell you, it's, it's scary that a lot of people who are under the power of Satan and those who don't believe in Jesus are looking to the Christians and wanting to find something, but all they find a lot of the times is criticism from Christians. Some of the harshest, most hypocritical things that you can ever find on the face of the planet are Christians who are just batting the, 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 those that are that are needing salvation. I tell you, folk, we've got to allow God to change our minds and help us see the reality of what's going on. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. And it seems like the ruler of the power of the air has got this coronavirus operating in the air. <laughs> and it says, and the spirit now working in those disobedient sons, in the sons who are disobedient. We too all previously lived among them 
in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. It's all whatever we feel and whatever we think. And we were by nature children under wrath. By nature, born as children under wrath. Jesus takes the wrath on the cross for us so that we can be set free from that wrath. Those who are under Jesus will have no wrath. Those who are not under Jesus still have wrath. And so that is the sad state. And this is what we need to do. We need to reach out to those who need him. And so our warfare, it goes on in, in Ephesians, uh, in chapter 6, it's quite clear. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. And so I want to remind us, folk, it says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor. This is Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against those people, those friends on your Facebook feed. <laughs> your struggle's not against them. Your struggle's not against the things that we're facing right now. You can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. And when it talks about the armor of God, it talks about the truth which covers our heads. It talks about the righteousness which covers our chests. It talks about the, the faith that um, we have as a shield. It talks about salvation which is in our minds. I mean, just to know the truth, the righteousness, the readiness of the gospel, to carry this gospel to others. Uh, faith, salvation, the sword of the Spirit, to have the Spirit, to have the Word of God. These are the weapons we use. They don't seem... If I had to tell you, uh, you're about to be equipped with some heavy artillery and with some, some serious armory, and I'd tell you it's truth, it's righteousness, it's readiness with the gospel, it's faith, it's salvation, it's the Spirit and the Word of God. You think, gee, Brad, I mean, is, is that really it? You say, well, these are spiritual weapons for a spiritual battle. And so when you bring truth, when you don't harbor on the conspiracy theories that you have no idea whether they're true or not, actually, and you have no idea whether your opinion is actually true, but when you have the Word of God, you've got truth. Bring, your, bring truth. Bring righteousness. Bring readiness. When you are ready to share the gospel, when somebody's asking questions, most people are asking questions because they're trying to find their way to God. They're trying to find their way to hope, trying to find their way to salvation. And we have that salvation. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. We have the Word of God. Then he says this in verse 18. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance uh, and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that this message may be given to me. When I open my mouth, look at this, the message needs to go forth. When I open my mouth to make known with boldness, the mystery of the gospel. And then Paul says this, For this I am an ambassador in chains. I mean, he's locked down, but he's not locked down. Because you see, physically locked down, but spiritually praying that the gospel can go out of his mouth in the letters that he's writing. This Ephesians letter has been written to us while he was in chains. And it says this, Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. And so, we need to be reminded, folk, we need to have that conviction that we're not fighting uh, flesh and blood. We need to remember there is trouble in this earth. We, we shouldn't be so surprised 
when we, when we imagine that people are inherently good, they're not. People are not inherently good. People are born under wrath, under Satan, with the sinful nature. They have to get set free from that. The only way we are good in any way is not even us. It's through trusting Jesus Christ, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And then you start to see good works flow from your life. And when people say, wow, you're such a good person, you say, it's not me. It's Christ in me. I don't take the glory for my works. I, I take perhaps... Uh, some credit for putting my faith in Jesus, but I tell you what, it's really all about Him. And even that's no credit at all. It's like I either believe in my own ability or I, I don't believe in myself. So where's the credit in that? It's just a matter of believing in Him and trusting in Jesus. And so uh, you see this conviction that Paul has too. The second conviction is that prayer changes things. So while we have trouble in this world, we've got to have that conviction in our hearts that Prayer will change things. And look what, look what happens. And you want to see prayer change things. It goes on in verse 6 from Acts chapter 12. When Herod uh, was about to bring him out for trial, that very night Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers. While the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said to him, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed. And the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. And wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. This is an interesting thing. Because Jesus had told Peter that when it would come time for him to die, Jesus said to Peter, you'll be very old. In other words, you're going to live a long life, but you're going to be that old that someone will have to dress you. And so in this occasion, where the angel's telling him, get dressed, he knows this is not the time for him to die. He's going to live. And so he did. And wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and he followed him. So he went out and followed. And he did not know that what the angel did was really happening. But he thought he was seeing a vision. And after they passed the first and the second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. Almost as if they had a remote, a remote control. And they went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. And as soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. Folk, prayers. Sometimes we don't even know how powerful our prayers are. I mean, Peter's not even praying. He's asleep. And God intervenes in a powerful way to set him free. Intercession is an incredible thing. When we pray for others, when we, when we gather in prayer, when you're praying for your family, when you're praying for those, when you're praying for all of us in this lockdown time, pray, folk. The more you pray, the more you, we, we realize that the physical problems, the things that we face in this world can be changed in a spiritual way through the through prayer, through being led by the Holy Spirit. And as we pray the things that the Spirit is leading us to pray, it's in fact already God wanting to do something, but He wants to do it through us and with us, and He leads us. And as we obey and trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit, our responsibility is to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. God will then do what He'd planned to do initially, and then we start to see these things unfold. And that's when He sends His angels, and He sends people, and He sends situations, changes situations. I mean, He makes these High gods, gods that, were, that, that could guard anything effectively in Herod's kingdom, they're sleeping. 
chains fall off, gates open. I mean, these are physical things that are happening as a result of prayer. And so uh, there's a third conviction that we need to understand that angels are servants of God who minister to God's children. And there are more angels than demons because the Bible says this, that a third of all the angels fell with Satan and followed him. So that means if a third went with Satan, two-thirds stayed with God. So there's, there's two angels for every demon, effectively. There's a whole lot more. But this is it. More are those who are for us than those who are against us, even, a spiritual, even in a spiritual level. There's so much more that is for us than that is against us. And we need this conviction that there are, I mean, I haven't seen an angel. I wish I could. And I'm praying, Lord, would you show me? Uh, even just the effects of an, of an angelic thing. I've seen the work of demons. I've seen demons shake people and, and do all kinds of nasty things to people. I've, seen the, the, I've sensed the presence of demons. I've felt demons try to choke my neck and all these kind of things. Not in a long time, but in the name of Jesus, those things shudder and they're fearful and they flee from the name above all names. Um, I can't say that I've, an ex- I've experienced an angel. Uh, maybe Sharice is an angel, <laughs> but I think I haven't actually had an experience of angels. And I mean, angels are different creatures. Uh, people don't become angels. It says that we will one day be like the angels in heaven where we all serve God and all, all worship God together as brothers and sisters in a sense. But angels are angels and, and uh, those that are made in the image of God, people are people. Those that are saved will experience worship with the angels in heaven, an incredible thing. And we'll probably... We'll judge angels. We'll speak to angels. But then there's also the fallen angels. And we'll certainly judge the demons and everything that they've done. And they'll be cast out into, the, into hell. But Hebrews 1 verse 13 and 14 says um, about the angels. It says, are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? I want to pray that God would protect all of us. And if he chooses to send angels to do it, then I say, God, please, would you? Would you send your angels to protect your people? Revelation 19.10, John receives this this word, this revelation from an angel. And in uh, chapter 19.10, he falls at the angel's feet as if to worship him. And then he says this, uh, the angel says, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. The angels are holding to the testimony of Jesus and they're servants with us serving Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And we don't worship angels, we worship God. Uh, with the angels. And uh, there's another powerful, powerful account in Daniel chapter 10. Do yourself a favor and go check out Daniel chapter 10 from verse 12 to 14. It's actually interesting. When Daniel starts to pray, uh, it says that an angel had had come in response from God, sent from God with the answer that was required for Daniel. But as this, this angel is on the way to Daniel, there's this this um, spiritual warfare that starts to take place. This angel is experiencing a, um, the prince of Persia, which is like a principality over the Persian kingdom, is holding back this angel from bringing an answer to Daniel in prayer. After 21 days, this angel gets to Daniel and then says to him, it's actually uh, Michael, the, the archangel Michael, had actually had, had come and helped this angel to set him free from the prince of Persia, and then uh, release, uh, release this angel to bring the, the words. I mean, I tell you, to think that when we're praying, God is sending angels with answers, and even while we're praying, there's, there's battles that take place in cosmic realms that as we pray, God is using our prayers, sending angels in response to our prayers 
changing scenarios that could change nations. I mean, the Prince of Persia eventually, that, that Prince of Persia um, is eventually toppled and the Persian kingdom topples and then you've got the Greek kingdom that comes in and all these kind of things. Uh, something similar must have happened when the Roman kingdom came in and now Paul, as he's praying, praying all the time that the gospel would advance, that understanding and truth would advance, the, the preaching of Jesus would advance. Um, these principalities start to crumble. Every kingdom and every nation that doesn't allow for the truth of the gospel to go forth will be toppled by God. And he starts it in the heavenly realms because of our prayers. And so let's be praying that our, the word of God would continue. And so in uh, Acts chapter 12, we continue from verse 13 um, to 17. It says this, And he knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she, said, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, it's his angel. And Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. Uh, motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Uh, Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said. And he left and went to another place. I mean, it's an, it's an incredible thing. You know, I want to say this. Faith, this next conviction, the fourth conviction is that faith comes by grace. And faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. You see, the, the people were praying for Peter, praying to God for Peter. But they still didn't believe Peter was there. Peter didn't even believe what was happening was real. Rhoda couldn't even believe it when she just left him at the gates and went in. I mean, there were obviously people in the town who might have recognized, hey, that's Peter. Isn't he supposed to be, um, you know, murdered and executed? And he's knocking on the door. Eventually, they let him in. It's the same what happened with the, the woman who saw Jesus in the garden after he's resurrected. The woman go and tell the apostles uh, that Jesus is alive. And they say, no, it can't be. You, you, you must have seen a ghost. Even the disciples, when they were in the boat and Jesus is walking on water, they're like, it's a ghost, it's an angel, it's something else, it's a spirit, it's a spook, it's a phantom. I tell you what, folk, sometimes even, even what we see is not the thing that's going to give us faith. What we feel is not the thing that's going to give us faith. If you think if you just could feel better, then you'll believe in God. If you feel, you're not going to have faith. If you can try and be logical and try to figure things out with your mind, you won't have faith. The Bible says this, Jews want power, and then they'll believe. And then it says Greeks want knowledge, and then they'll believe. But in Corinthians, Paul says, it's through the foolishness of preaching Jesus Christ on a cross that people come to faith. I mean, folks, just think about this. Nobody feels good when they see someone hanging on a cross. So your feelings are not going to lead you to believe that Jesus is your Savior. And no one logically would, would ever imagine that some man that hung on a tree 2,000 years ago in, in, the, in the Middle East is the one that takes all my sin and places it on his body and takes all his righteousness and places it on me so that I can have eternity with a Father in heaven. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's not logical and it doesn't feel, any, doesn't feel good. But I tell you what, when the Spirit of God grants you the gift by his grace, he grants you faith to believe that's when it feels amazing because there's nothing like knowing that your sins have been removed and there's nothing like knowing your life has become new and you feel it. But it comes when you believe in him and that is a gift 
I tell you, people could see Jesus, but they wouldn't believe in him. It's a gift from God to believe in him. And I do trust that you, your faith is starting to stir right now. And as God starts to open your heart to believe in him, you would know that that man who hung in that tree 2,000 years ago, you can believe him. You'll not be able to see it. You can't see him now. You've got no proof of it right now. But I tell you what, faith starts to well up in your heart and you realize, I am forgiven. I can believe in him. He is alive. He is the Lord. He is on the throne. He is the Savior. We've got to have a conviction of faith, folk. It's not by what our eyes see that we need to be governed. It's not by what we feel that we need to be governed. It's by what we believe. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so the proof, the conviction, the evidence, all of this comes to us as a gift from God. A wonderful gift from God. If you've got faith, it's a blessing, folk. And if you don't have faith, I'm praying for you right now. That by the Spirit of God, your heart would awaken. And that God would do something inside of you that would enable you to see Jesus and to trust Jesus. And to look to him, not yourself, but to him in every single way. So at daylight, verse 18, it says, There was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. <laughs> After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Herod was very angry. <laughs> and with the people of Tyre and Sidon, together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, that's just a whole lot of weird stuff going on right there, <laughs> they asked for peace because the country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembly uh, the, the assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a God and not of a man. At once, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Gee, whiskers. And so, here's the fifth conviction, folk. Again, I want to remind you, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we're fighting against demonic powers. I've already touched on who Herod was and the kind of crazy uh, grandfather and father and, and all the, 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 the kind of stuff that, that Herod did, even his son that went on to do, just ridiculous sin. And, but it's, the, it's the, the demons behind him that were doing these things. And I tell you how, do you, how do you recognize and how do you notice when there's demonic things going on? And uh, just from this passage alone, you can see that demonic power is having an influence and manifesting in different ways. And you can see it in this, a great commotion. Whenever there's a commotion, you know that the devil likes to make a commotion. Uh, when you're trying to focus on Jesus, when you're trying to pray, when you're trying to read the Bible, sometimes there's a commotion and, and it's like, this is what he tries to do in the world. There's a commotion right now in America. There's a commotion right now in South Africa. There's a commotion all over the world. All it's doing, the demons are laughing while they're distracting people away from, his, from God's presence. There's interrogation and suspicion. Here it is like, who is it? Which one of you gods? What is this? And when there's interrogation and suspicion and questions and doubt and all these kind of things, I can tell you that's when demons are not far. And so while there's so much suspicion creating doubt and questions in people's hearts, the Spirit of God doesn't do that. The Spirit of God answers, guides, leads, reveals, brings us into truth. There's execution, people being killed. These, these guards were killed for something they didn't even do. The angel set Peter free. 
but they get executed. And I tell you, we're like that. Sometimes we don't know what's actually going on, but we're so quick to execute and kill and top off heads and put people on the block because they like this and they like this and they this race and they that politics and they this theology and all these kind of things. Folk, I tell you, demons are laughing while they are bringing division and bringing all these kind of um, things into people's lives. Anger, unfounded, very angry. This is Herod, an angry man, just angry all the time. I want to ask you guys, I want to ask you fathers, I want to ask you, you, you men. Could you ask Jesus to deliver you of anger and set you free from anger? You don't need to be angry. You need to come to the one who was angry with you, but now he loves you because he poured his wrath on his son for you. And you can be set free of that anger. The devil's angry, man. But God's not angry. He's not angry at you if you believe in his son, Jesus. Today's a day for you to be set free from anger. I mean, lust. They won over the man who's in charge of the bedroom. I mean, I don't know what's going on there. But I, but I tell you what, one of the things that the enemy does, when there's lust around, I tell you, it's a demonic thing. When there's pride around, parading in what he thinks he deserves. Oh, I deserve this. Oh, I've done so much. Oh, I'm a king. Oh, I'm a queen. I've done all these things. When we start to just... When we deserve things, when we're like, I need this. You know what? If God hasn't given you something, it's not yours. And anything you do have has come from God. So thank Him for it. The minute you start getting all proud about what you deserve, it's a dangerous place. It can be, it's not from God, so therefore it's from demons. Greed. He was holding back the food from people in a time of famine. I tell you what, in a time of famine, this is not a time for us to be greedy. That's what the devil would tell us to do. Hold it all back because you don't want to lose it now. You're going to lose. You're going to, I bring fear to you now. You're not going to have anything to eat. Let it go. Watch what God does. And of course, there's this false gospel. I mean, this uh, Herod is delivering some kind of speech and everyone's saying, yes, we love that. False gospels are the kind of gospels that, that make you think that you're going to be wise, that you're going to be like God, that you can save yourself, that you can trust in your own strength and your own ability and take revenge on others and uh, full of empty promises. False gospels. This is what this man would have been preaching. And then there was idolatry and the worship of man. This is the voice of a God it's actually a voice of a demon. And the end result, it says that God strikes him down. Sin leads to suicide, folk. Sin and suicide are from Satan. Jesus wants to set us free and bring us into the wonderful things he has for us. Conviction number six is this, that we give all glory to God. Give glory to God. You want to be saved? Give glory to God. Not your own works, not your own abilities. What's going to happen one day when you stand before Jesus and, and you try to get some glory for what you've done? Give glory to God. That's the only way to be saved. The last conviction is this. And it's the greatest conviction of all. Verse 24, it says, And the word of God flourished and multiplied. And after they completed their mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking with them John, who was also called Mark. I love this. Paul and Barnabas still helping people. Their relief mission was completed. They did what they were asked to do. And they take this young John Mark, someone extra on the journey, multiplying the work, not just in the word being preached, but in disciples being raised up, in young people being taken under the arm, in just team being built up, and more guys getting opportunities to do things. It's an incredible thing. And the word of God flourished and multiplied. Do you have a conviction that this word must multiply, that this word must flourish, that this word must go out. There needs to be more homes, more life groups, more church plants, more nations, more disciples made, 
More has to happen by the word of God. More people basing their life on this word. More people basing their budgets on this word. More people basing their marriages on this word. More people basing their parenting and their children on this word. More people praying this word. More people trusting in the supernatural things that are written in this word. I wish I could tear out all the pages that talk about angels and demons and miracles. But it's all in there. And it's, that's what we want to see multiply. And that's what we want to see flourish. It's going to take us becoming courageous people. We are not locked down. Keep praying. We are not political. Keep it spiritual. And may God give you great conviction in every way in the name of Jesus. Amen.